Okay, let's talk about it. This is going to be a sermon series on uh, the stigmas that we face in life. It's hard to talk about. You know, sometimes we want cheap, easy answers to um, struggles in life, and they're not always there. And a stigma is sort of placed on a person or a group that's a disgrace. It's associated with a particular quality or circumstance um, that's often complicated, sometimes even unavoidable. Maybe it's a stigma related to sin and the patterns of sin, um, but that's still somebody that needs to be approached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And sometimes as a church, we don't know how to do that. Sometimes it's a stigma that is... Uh, uh, not necessarily sin something, you can't do anything about it. Somebody has been uh, in a position of suffering, and when they come into our sphere of community, we wonder how to handle it. So as a result, most things that are stigmas in our culture get stereotyped, uh, prejudicial, we create biases towards others. Now this is sometimes true of us as a church, like we are stigmatized. Um, I I'm actually very offended by the amount of things that people put out there about Christianity um, that they wouldn't do about other religions. They stereotype Christians as being hypocritical, as being simple-minded. Uh, nothing can be further from the truth, but if you get to the margins of any group, you'll have those extremes. Um, you could find those reasons to make fun of a group of people. Um, but I'm not speaking about this for a defense. This is not an apologetic sermon series of the church that is stigmatized in the world. What I'm saying is that there's things that are actually in the church, people who come in that are stigmatized, and we don't know how to talk about it. We don't know how to just present it and be honest about it. And I think partly because the things that we're comfortable talking about, we sort of justify. There's things that are are bad, and we're okay with it. I used this example when a, a pastor friend of mine said he and his t young teenage son went to watch a movie, and when there became something racy on the screen, he goes, but I was really good about making sure they looked at me, and we didn't look at something that might uh, be of a temptation for us. And I said, what movie did you go see? And they said, John Wick. I said, so you didn't look away when they murdered 300 people, right? Like, in other words, there's a stigma we have for something There's a, that, that, like, no, murder for vengeance is okay. Have anybody seen True Lies with, um, oh, what is her name? Jamie Lee Curtis. True Lies, Jamie Lee Curtis, and uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. So in the movie, uh, he's a spy. I don't want to give it away, but we're about 30 years past, so hopefully everybody's okay with that. Arnold Schwarzenegger is a spy, and Jamie Lee Curtis doesn't know it. They're married, and all of a sudden, she gets swept up into this whole ordeal, and they get caught, and then he gets truth serum. They're going to extract some of his spy knowledge, and she looks at him, and she goes, you're a spy? And he goes, yeah. And she says, do you kill people? He's got truth serum, and he goes, yeah, but they're all bad. <laughs> ha ha, it's funny. You go, Okay. Like, John will kill people because it was vengeful. Like, they're all bad, doesn't matter. Notice how we don't stigmatize that. But there's other things that when we're approached by it, we're going, ah, I don't know how to handle that. I don't know how to be. So we're going to talk about the next four weeks, mental health. Uh, next week in my absence, I'm excited. Allie's going to preach on physical health. The following week, I'm going to talk about sexual health. And then the fourth week, we'll talk about um, aging and the health of our aging body and spirit. And what I mean by that, I really, now with my parents at the age that they are, my mom having just passed away and my dad's situation, it's, 
it's a story we need to talk about. You know, it's, it's a way of life that we don't explain or explore on behalf of our older generation in the church. So these are the things that we're going to talk about. Let's start with a little bit of a fun approach to it. Does anybody ever have the dad advice that, you, you know, like my dad would say things like, you get your legs cut off in that lawnmower, don't you come running to me. Well, I won't be running, dad. Does anybody else have that really bad, you know, like, just shake it off. Does anybody ever get that? Shake it off. Now, just take a second. Does anybody have something your dad has said to you growing up? Not you, Joey. Stay out of this. Anybody have that really bad dad advice? How about, anybody ever have your dad say this? Stop crying or I'll give you something to cry about. <laughs> My poor daughter, I must have said that her whole life. You want to cry? Cry quietly. <laughs> I don't mind if you cry, just don't do it around me. So bad. Here's the thing about, about mental health this morning. I do think we feel like we should have those easy answers. Like, just suck it up. You know, you're going through some stuff. I get it. It's really hard. Uh, but, but you need to get over it, right? And that doesn't really always work when it comes to mental health. You can't have dad advice for people who are suffering from depression, anxiety disorders, addictions, neurodivergence, or anything in between. It's... it's horribly offensive to say something to this extent, suck it up, just take your medicine. Or the fact that we think if you take a medicine, that will solve it so you won't have mental health issues that disrupt my day or get over yourself. These are terrible things to say. And as a result of not knowing what to say, often in the church we just don't say anything. We don't talk about it. I don't think dad advice works. I think we should see it more like life as an ocean. And you know what I mean by an ocean. When you reflect on your life like the ocean, on the surface or from the shoreline, it's very exciting. It's even mesmerizing. You can get into the ocean knee deep and you can have a wonderful time. But if you go out even a matter of 100 feet, you're quickly in over your head. And life, like the ocean, is to have this journey, this adventure of faith. And we do go out farther and farther. From the time you leave the cradle and you leave the dock, if you will, you leave the harbor, the safe harbor, and you go in. I shared that with the youth this morning. Think of the things you face to grow up, to go into grade school, to try to compete to struggle with what people may say or make fun of you and how you do things, to struggle in relationships, dating relationships, to struggle how to handle them appropriately. To get your first job, to get fired, to get laid off, to work with coworkers who don't like you. The ocean gets deeper and the waters get darker. And your boat seems to get smaller. This vessel of life. Jesus' disciples were no different. They were sailors and they themselves, the actual storm, terrified them that they had to go wake up Jesus you know, they're expert sailors. Them waking up Jesus is like John Cena trying to find somebody to help him fight somebody. Like the expert needs help. Meaning that mental health will beget us all. Our mental faculties are, if you will, that, that helm of our existence to navigate our emotions, our physical abilities, Sort of that vehicle that connects the body and the spirit, right? 
Now, we may not do it with the same dad advice, suck it up, get over it, but we do often patronize people who are suffering. We give cheap answers. If we're not callous about it, we're often the alternative. Has anybody suffered through a mental illness or know somebody who did? And when you're going through it, somebody will inevitably say, oh, I know what you're going through. Is that not the worst thing to ever say? I've been where you are. Let me tell you my story. And instead of you having the opportunity to really explain what you're going through, it just becomes about them. And then in the church, we have to struggle with this because on the one hand, you say, I believe in God and I pray and God is this eternal God who performs miracles and yet God, leave me of this suffering. What do you do when God does not? What do you do when God doesn't make it go away, when he doesn't wake up and calm the storm? Now as a church, we may not say this directly, but there's an implication, even if we don't say it directly, that is implied indirectly, which is if you don't get healed, you don't have enough faith. Clearly something's wrong with you, because God would help you. That was the story of Job. Even Job's wife says, curse God and die, right? This is your misery because you've done something to offend God. You've been cursed with bad health, losing our kids, everything that we own. Now, this is not a contemporary issue. When people ask about mental health in our culture today, we have a certain verbiage and language about it. But it was true in Scripture. Characters in the Bible that struggle with mental health. Let me give you a few of them. Job chapter 3, verse 26. I have no peace, no quietness. I have no rest, but only turmoil. Anybody ever felt like that? Elijah went a day's journey in the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and he prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. Oh, man, if you want to read 1 Kings 19.4. I mean, sometimes scripture is our lament. Listen to Elijah. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Jonah prayed in Jonah 4.3. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. You can read any number of the Psalms. Read Many of us love Psalm 23. Read the one before it, Psalm 22. Read Lamentations, the lament. Jeremiah laments in Lamentations. We often overlook it. Most of us cherry-pick certain scriptures. Lamentations 3.23, for his mercies are new every morning. Love that verse. Has anybody ever taken the time to read Lamentations 3, 1 through 22? Jeremiah is so in mental anguish. He says, God, it's like you come after me as if you came after a bear. Your arrows to target me. Why, Lord? Jeremiah laments. So it'd be overly simplistic to say that all mental health issues are the result of spiritual issues. But they certainly impact our faith. Why, God? Let me go to the next screen with the psalm. This is Psalm 42. I love how this psalm introduces...
actual war happening. This is a psalm that's a song that the Israelites would sing in reflection of bad times, and they're still feeling it. Meaning, have you ever gone through a hardship and then it, it creates more mental anguish as you go on? That the event has passed, but it sort of surfaces as you become afraid of it again and again. It may not be present with you every day, but it's present with you because you can't stop thinking about it. It weighs upon you. This is what the psalmist is saying among the people. Our enemies, who's the enemy in your life that taunts you? Now, I'll give you a very clear way to picture this. Who is the enemy in your life that you keep getting into their head? Some of you have heard me say this before. You get into somebody else's head and you start thinking of what they're thinking about you. You know that mental anguish that you, you feel? Usually when I counsel people and I say, what are you struggling with? They'll tell me about something and it involves somebody else. And almost within a few minutes, they go away from what is real about the somebody else, what they actually said, to what now they think they're thinking. That what they must eventually do to them. And I go, you got to stay in your lane. You need to get out of their head. That is not healthy for you. It makes you anxious. It makes you concerned. You get into people's heads all the time on social media. You're like, oh. Even if you see somebody and it's indirect and you're like, oh, they're having a great time with friends. We used to go out together. We're not there. Why didn't they invite us? What do they think about us? I'm in their headspace. That's what they're doing in the song. They're saying, God, we're struggling with our enemy. They're not here right now, but they're, they're here. What do we do? The National Alliance of Mental Health reports that one in five adults experience mental illness in a year. What do we do? How do we handle it? I think it's something we need to talk about. And we need to talk about it, not in the sense that we're waking Jesus to calm the storm. We're just awaking Jesus in us to be present in the midst of the storm. And I think the church can do better. In Glorious Weakness, Aaliyah Joy writes, sorrow is sacred. If you write anything down today in those notebooks, write it, circle it, asterisk it. Sorrow is sacred. Now you're going to be tested on that because you're going to say, but how can sorrow be sacred? How can suffering be sacred? How can the things that are not of heaven be sacred? And I'm going to tell you at the end of this sermon, you're going to see why. Because the things that are suffering bring us closer to Jesus. Even if the disciples didn't get Jesus to calm the storm, they still went to Jesus in the midst of it. What Aaliyah is saying is that suffering is not an indictment against God. It might be the single space where we identify most deeply with him. Jesus himself said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God shows up in a unique way in the midst of our suffering. Now, I don't, I, I'm going to get to that video here and say, I don't want to make this a sermon that excludes our responsibility to our mental struggles. So here's one thing we're going to do. We're going to do this on both sides. We're going to say, well, we can do more as a church, but we still have to have you as a person Come into the conversation. We can't have the conversation just in a vacuum. 
I always say this about the ministries of the church. The reason we start ministries of the church is because we, the people, of the people, for the people, by the people, believe that something that you've been through, you want to make sacred. Whatever sorrow that you've suffered, you say, this, can we offer this? We've done this in several different manners, whether it be that the, we're really where SAD started, if you remember. We offered that over uh, for Alcoholics Anonymous, Addictions Anonymous. When people are suffering, they go, I, how are we going to fix this? They go, are, are you, have you been, has this affected you? Yes, it's affected me. What do you want to do? How do you want to bring people together? But the thing is, is especially with addiction, you can't help the person more than they want to help themselves. And I kind of laugh when this TikTok came across, across my phone because this said it best, that while we talk about mental health, we still have to decide that the person who's struggling, or myself included, is willing to address it. This I thought was pretty funny. down these days and I don't know why. Have you exercised today? No. Did you go outside? No. Did you talk to anyone? No. Did you eat well? No. Did you limit your scrolling time? No. Did you make any plans? No. Did you drink enough water? No. Did you get enough sleep? No. Wait, yes. Yes to that one. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, what a mystery. What a mystery. <laughs> now, here's what I'm going to offer you this morning. Uh, we're going to get to some solutions here that, that are not perfect solutions, but they're a good starting point. And here's my request. Do you know people who struggle with mental health that use an integrative approach to it? Now, what I mean by integrative is that when I say church, community matters, social interaction helps, it matters. Prayer matters. But I do think we have to right-size our response to the human condition. I'll give you an example. If someone is curious about the gospel of Jesus Christ, we don't send them to the ER, Right? You tell them it would be good to go to church. But when the little league player breaks an arm sliding to home plate, we don't tell them to go home and just pray about it. See the difference? I do laugh about this. When I got my doctorate, everybody thought that was hilarious. Was there a doctor in the house? I'm like, that's great. Let's go to a restaurant. And somebody's choking to death. Is there a doctor in the house? And I'm like, yes. And I go over and lay hands and pray for them. That doesn't work. And it's not that the prayer isn't helpful, but obviously you know God is, and this is the thing I really love to remind people, God is in, in us, the body of Christ is a mago day. So when you discover, when you're part of the discovery, when medical technology is advanced, it's God's way in saying, even those who are rebellious against God, hey, I've designed you to be problem solvers, to help. This is a participation. This is integrative. The God who performs miracles also gave us the miracle that is life. There's in our human existence the ability to approach difficult situations. So when I say integrative approach, let me give you a few examples I want you to try this week. If you struggle with mental health, um, if you struggle with somebody you know...
following. I will have counseling session over counseling session, and I'll have people who ask about challenging situations. By the third counseling session, I will say, has anything changed since the first time we met? Nope. This is the problem we have in our culture today. Medicine is really good. That's not to say you don't find medicine. But if you don't have an integrative approach to your, your well-being that includes physical exercise. I've yet to find somebody who's anxious in the moment who can get out there and walk that doesn't help. And I did laugh. Somebody, somebody actually called me at one point and they said, I'm out here and it's not helping. And I said, how far have you gone? And she said, around the block. Keep walking. Get two miles under your belt. Let me know. Okay. So nobody can help you more than you are ready to help yourself. And if you're ready to, to get some solutions, then some of the things have to be behavioral changes in your own life. Uh, what time you go to bed, how much screen time you have. Now that's on the surface, right? There are some really dark waters to mental health. Uh, and I do think that that's where medical professionals come in and you elevate the experience and the wisdom of the people in the room. But to start, I will say you also have to claim it. How many of you have been going 1,000 miles an hour, you get the flu, you refuse to slow down, you get sick, you don't stop, and then all of a sudden your body shuts down and you're like, why? What happened? We have to claim it more. And I'm, the, I'm preaching to myself on this one. I really struggle to just slow down, but you've got to identify when your rhythms are out of control, where you're getting anxious or you're getting angry or you're getting fearful and you're not sure why, you, you need to claim that. And you have to identify how bad it is. Usually when I ask people about their mental health, I'll relate it to physical health. Is this something that you feel like you need a couple aspirins, you can keep going, do you need a nap and you can keep going? Or are we in triage? Is this really problematic? Are we ready to get something moving to the next level? I encourage you to talk about it Identify it with others who can help. Church, I wish we'd have more Bible studies of this end. One of the things in the last 20 years just dropped off the shelf was small groups. What was Sunday school? Uh, we're trying with the once a month with Taco Tuesday. But if you feel led, we have the space. By all means, put a group together and say every other week, we'll do once a month. Let's talk about this. And then, of course, pray about it. Prayer really is tantamount to our space with God and inviting God to be in charge of our lives. Now again, I'll say it, it's like the disciples. He may not wake up and calm the storm. He may calm the child. But you have to have that space and time in your life where you ask this of God. Now the prayer I think that goes really well with mental health is the serenity prayer. And the reason is, is that it, it encourages you to stay out of other people's heads. Control what you can control. Accept the things you can't control and the wisdom to know the difference. So let's, let's just pray that prayer together, would you? Dear Lord, grant me the serenity. Physical behavior will change for you this week. This is, this is where the sermon is the outcome. I want you to leave here. Maybe you have people that you've seen struggle. You have to help them claim it. You have to help them talk about it.
Now, this is subtle. I don't want us to be the church that just rushes into people's lives. If you go through a divorce, you're not ready to talk about it the next week. It may take months, but we want you to know that in the church we can talk about it. This is the sanctuary. This is the space we should be able to talk about these things. If you lost a loved one and you're in grief, we may not talk about it the next week. It may not be something you're ready, but eventually you have conversations about it. So this week, when you run into people, if you can see where that goes and pray with one another, and if it's just this prayer, it's truly transformative. Remember when I said suffering is sacred? That even in your mental health, God has plans for you? Let Let me read for you a passage of Scripture. This comes after communion. This is after the Last Supper. Jesus is foreshadowing his death. And he goes into the Garden of Gethsemane and it says this. He went with his disciples. He took three of them even farther into the garden with him. And he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. You think Jesus struggled with mental health? You think his mental state was strained? Going a little farther, he fell, and with his face to the ground, he prayed, My father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. You think Jesus was struggling? He returned to his disciples. He found them sleeping. Can you not keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray. Watch and pray. He went a second time. My father, if it is possible, this cup be taken from me. Unless I drink it, may your will be done. Eventually, he is placed on the cross, and he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We take communion because at the cross, Jesus suffered and died. And in his suffering, he gives us eternal life. You can't skip it. You can't go from Palm Sunday to Easter and not go through Good Friday. And for all of us here, that gives us a little bit more hope You're not stigmatized because you can't just pray and be happy again and all those struggles that you have going on don't just go away. Yeah, it will be hard. But you know what? Why don't we make it hard and shared together? Let's do life with Jesus. Let's talk about it.